parable of the minas. What's in your handkerchief? You know, all this week I was pronouncing in my head minas as minas. So you have to forgive me if you've heard it one way or the other and it comes out differently. You know, I actually looked at the Greek word and how to pronounce it and they didn't know either actually. They pronounce it na, M-N-A. So it's actually our invention to put an I in there. It could have been O, it could have been U, it could have been any other vowel. So um, the parable of the minas, the minas, the mnas. Um, all in how you look at it. You know, we just looked at the, the, the story of Zacchaeus and addressed the, the issue of gossip and rumor and slander. I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to get online to our website, gladybranch.org, and listen to that message. Um, there in that story, uh, when the people saw Jesus inviting himself over to the home of Zacchaeus, uh, they began to grumble and slander Jesus and Zacchaeus. They had a misconception. There really wasn't a reason to grumble, but rather there should have been rejoicing because Zacchaeus was repenting and and Jesus was declaring that salvation had come to his house that day. And there in the presence of Zacchaeus, in the presence of Jesus' followers and other spectators, Jesus then addressed another misconception concerning the installation time of his coming kingdom. You see, Jesus was nearing the capital city of Jerusalem uh, he was currently in Jericho, just, just a day's, uh, an afternoon's journey there from Jerusalem. Uh, in the past, Jesus had visited Jerusalem for the various festivals and feasts as, as a young boy, but also as he begun his ministry with his disciples. But this particular trip to Jerusalem was a bit different. Jerusalem was preparing for the Passover feast, uh, the yearly celebration, the yearly uh, commemoration of God saving his people from destruction in Egypt. During that time in Egypt, the the angel of death passed over the homes that were covered by the blood of the lamb and the people were then freed to travel to their homeland of Israel. And now during the time of Jesus in Jerusalem, as per usual, lambs were being gathered uh, to sacrifice in the temple and people from all parts of the country were either preparing or actually on their way traveling to Jerusalem. But what was different this year was that Jesus was now traveling with a fairly large group of followers. It wasn't just he and his 12 disciples. No, there was many more. And uh, he had been talking about the kingdom of heaven coming. And the conflict between he and the religious leaders had escalated up to this point where he could no longer enter into Jerusalem because he would be killed on sight. He'd been talking about his betrayal and death there in Jerusalem, but He had also been talking about this kingdom that he would be ushering in. In the minds of the people, they perhaps imagined that during this trip to Jerusalem, Jesus would then um, overthrow the, the Roman occupation and the Roman oppression, and he would be declared as king in Jerusalem with this large following that he had now acquired. But they were still trying to figure out what to do with this whole death part that he kept mentioning. Maybe they thought Jesus was just metaphorically speaking about death. Or maybe they thought that if he was to be killed in Jerusalem, then his kingdom would still be ushered in immediately through the remaining disciples, even after his death. So there in front of Zacchaeus and and all the others, in, in moments just a couple weeks away from his crucifixion, he then told a parable concerning his coming kingdom. Let's read it together. Luke 19, 11 through 27. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. 
So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called 10 of his slaves, and now when I say slaves, when this says slaves, it's not quite our modern interpretation of what slavery meant. Uh, This is a a hired servant, this is a a worker, basically, as we'll see later that he'll be rewarded and given much responsibility. Uh, By slave, it means his job was to obey his master and what his master told him to do. Um, He called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, master, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in very little thing. You are to be in authority over 10 cities. The second came saying, your mina master has has made five minas. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Another came saying, master, here's your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I'm an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he he has 10 minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Now this parable is is very similar to the parable of the talents that Jesus would later tell as recorded in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Uh, We're not gonna read that passage in Matthew this morning, but you might wanna take a note uh, to jot that down to look at it later. Again, that passage is Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, But what I will do right now is I want to talk a little bit about the differences, uh, some differences worth noticing between these two parables. First, a talent was a much greater sum than a a mina. One talent was worth approximately 15 to 20 years worth of wages, a a really large sum of money indeed. In contrast, one mina was equivalent to approximately four months of wages. Um, In the, the parable of the talents, One talent was given uh, to one which he buried in the ground. Um, Another was given two and he doubled that amount. Another was given five and he doubled that amount. Uh, Each was giving differing amounts and one made no increase, but to the one that had been given two and five, they both equally uh, increased by the same proportional means. They both doubled their amount. They shared the same diligence and and faithfulness and had doubled what had been given to them despite there being differing amounts. And both received equal reward as well. Jesus said to both of these, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. They did equal proportional work and shared an equal reward. What they had to invest was different but they produced the same percentage of profits and received the same reward. Uh, The lesson would be that that we are each given different gifts, abilities, 
talents, tools, resources, finances, knowledge, etc., to work with, but whatever we are given, if we are faithful to use that, whether great or small, we will each be given the, the same reward, the same gift of eternal life in his kingdom. We will share in the blessing of his kingdom, all of us who surrender to Jesus from the greatest amongst us to the least amongst us. Now here in the parable of the minas, each slave, again, each worker, servant, was given the same amount, 10 minas, the equivalent of 40 months worth of wages, uh, just over three years of wages. And as with the parable of the talents, one servant hid that capital that he was to work with. But the other two yielded an increase but this time the increase was not equal proportionally. One servant doubled the 10 minus, uh, producing another 10, a 100% increase, and was rewarded with being placed in authority over 10 cities. The other servant produced five more minas uh, from his 10, a 50% increase, and was rewarded proportionally to what he had produced. Uh, he was given authority over five cities. What they had to invest was the same, but they produced different profits and thus receive different rewards. Uh, the meaning being that there are areas in which we've all been given the same amounts and the same opportunities. We have the same God, we have the same Jesus, we have the same Holy Spirit, the same gift of his gospel message, uh, the same scriptures. We are of the same universal body of believers. And yet we can choose to use each of those shared gifts differently. We will each invest the, the gospel capital according to different degrees of faithfulness and we will be thus rewarded differently according to the degree to which we have been into what we use, what we've all been given access to. So as with the talents and, and being different, we can secure the same reward and, and with the minas and being the same, we can secure different rewards. There's equality, yet opportunity to achieve. The differences are leveled out and we can all receive the same benefits. Yet we're still held accountable for those same benefits we all receive and we're encouraged to use those benefits for further reward. It's, it's like the perfect blend of socialism and capitalism. I mean, somebody needs to jump on that truth there and throw their name on the ballots. I guess Jesus actually did in a sense. Uh, but he's not running for president. He's, he, he'd prefer rather to be king of your heart. His campaign trail was three years of him sharing his values, uh, his, his viewpoint, and his stance on things, all, stance on thing, all recorded in, on, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John. He's describing the scenario of what it looks like in a kingdom where he is king, where he is in control, where he is in charge, where there's equality and mercy and fairness, but yet paired with freedom, justice, and reward for hard work. It's going to be awesome, but as this parable displays, there will be many who reject him as king. They will say, as those in verse 14, we do not want this man to reign over us. And to those who reject him, they will end up losing their lives, as verse 27 states. Now concerning the difference in the, the capital being invested, the, the large sum of talents uh, versus the small sum of the, the mina, Perhaps it would be worth noting that concerning the things I mentioned that we share in, uh, God, Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit, his gospel message, the scriptures, the universal body of believers, these minor things 
to the world probably seem pretty small in value and significance when compared to the other great talent resources and, and gifts and means that some in the world have access to. Now think about the Roman Empire and all of its might and organization, its wealth, its infrastructure, its power, its legions of military soldiers and compare all that to homeless Jesus, the 12 disciples and maybe a hundred other outcasts, weirdos and vagabonds. Yet with these little minor things, we have the opportunity to, to, to gain authority over cities Jesus is the nobleman who has gone off to make arrangements concerning his new kingdom. And meanwhile, you and I are left here, each given 10 minas to work with in a, in a territory where the rest of the citizens reject his rule. Take note of, of that. Uh, don't miss the fact that we're being advised to invest and work in an environment that is hostile to the king whose resources we are using. And when that king returns, he's going to call each one of us into him and have us give an account of the business that we have done with the resources he has given us. And thus he will reward us appropriately. The parable of the talents, it covers the reward of receiving the kingdom. The, the one who buried the talent was thrown out into outer darkness. He missed the reward of eternal life. But here in the parable of the minas, I don't think we're talking about the reward of eternal life. There's no mention of casting out the one who did nothing with the ten minas. It's just that his minas were taken away and given to another who had worked the nobleman's capital. The point being, there are rewards beyond eternal life. God wants more for us than just barely scraping by heaven's gates. He wants to give us out of the abundance of his riches. He wants to bless us beyond the reward of eternal life in his kingdom. He wants to us to experience rewards and, and blessings even here, now, in this life, even before we enter the heavenly gates. But he can't do that if we are holding on to and protectingly uh, trapping and hiding the 10 minas that he's given us. He can't do that if we take the resources that we as believers all have equal access to and wrap them up in a handkerchief. What does the, the servant say as to why he kept the minas in the handkerchief? Verse 21 says, for I was afraid of you. So much of our potential is robbed by fear. Fear paralyzes us and I believe it, it often makes us ineffective for the kingdom of God. Fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of others, fear of loss, fear of failure. Note that in this parable, as well as in the parable of the talents, uh, there's no mention of someone who actually used the talents or the, the minas saying to the master, I invested what you gave me, but I ended up losing money. Uh, no one says, sir, I went bankrupt with what you gave me in trying to invest for your kingdom. Uh, no, the only ones who lose are the ones who did nothing. You can't lose if you try to invest God's resources into his kingdom. It's, it's impossible to lose. What's the promise that God says of his word? Isaiah 55, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bear and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth 
of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's word will not return empty. And I believe that when we invest his words, his truths, his resources, he is able and willing to multiply that investment and bless us in return. The only way we lose is if we are passive, if we hold on to and, and, and guard and protect what we are rather to spend and invest. Yes, hide God's word in your heart, as the psalmist says. But then as Jesus says, from your mouth, speak of that which fills your heart. In order to invest something, you, you have to, to give it. You have to let go of it. You have to use it. You have to spend it. As valuable as it is to you, as familiar as it is to you, as comfortable as it is to you, you have to unwrap your handkerchief and let go of its contents. That's hard sometimes, right? We have this treasure of Jesus tucked deep in our hearts. We have this treasure of experiencing church, the treasure of his his word and his truth, and we, we tuck it down deep in our hearts, and maybe sometimes it's easy for us as believers to, to protect that treasure by holding on to it and personally, to keeping it secure in our hearts and flying under the radar in public settings. We fear discomfort and mockery, insults from citizens who don't want Jesus to reign over them. So we wrap up our treasure in our handkerchief, and perhaps with good intentions, aiming not to lose any of it, not to have it tainted, not to have it harmed. But Jesus is calling us to invest it, to use it, to spend it, to, to let go of it. And he knows that we won't lose, but that in letting go and investing, we'll gain that much more. I have a little bit of an object lesson this morning. I have some handkerchiefs that um, if someone would help me pass these out, I want everybody to, to grab a, a handkerchief here. Did everybody get one? Does anybody doesn't have one? Everybody's got one? Okay. Um, now that you have your handkerchief, I, as you hold it, this folded handkerchief in your hands, I, I want you to, we're gonna spend a little bit of time just thinking and examining our, our own life and think about any areas that we perhaps could be storing or hiding or protecting Jesus's resources. Uh, is there anything tucked away in the handkerchief your, of your life that you should rather be investing in some way? Are you silent about sharing his truth with others? Are, are you ashamed to, to pray with someone in need? Uh, is his word sitting closed somewhere inside here? Uh, are there financial resources that he wants you to, to sow into his kingdom. Maybe there's a comfortable job or career that's being shielded in your handkerchief and God wants you to let go of it and walk into something new that would greater benefit his kingdom. I want us each, you know, no matter how difficult it might be to, to be able to open the, the folds of the handkerchief and, and truly be able to say to the Lord, whatever it is, Lord, it, it's yours, and I want to be a good steward of investing it for your kingdom. Uh, there's this thing here, tucked right here, and I unfold it to you, Lord. I, I want you to help me multiply it. Um, there's this 
I unwrap this little part to you, Lord. Uh, forgive me for holding on to that. I want to use it for your glory. I want to give you a few moments to think about and, and pray through this. As you do, let this handkerchief object lesson be etched firmly into your mind as you unfold it and prayerfully release whatever it might be to the Lord. Now, if you've unfolded your handkerchief, I want you to, to fold it back. Um, uh, this time, uh, I want you to look at it a little differently. I, I want you not to examine yourself personally, but in looking at this handkerchief, I want you to, to examine the role of this specific church fellowship here at Glady Branch. Um, I want you to think specifically about this body of believers and the resources that we each have shared access to. I want you to think about all that God has given to Glady Branch, the church building, the, the finances, the, the location off the highway, the proximity to downtown Brevard, the relative proximity to Rosman, uh, the people, the favor in the community, the, the history, the connections, all these things and more. And we have to ask ourselves, are these God-given resources being invested for maximum kingdom profit? Or are there God-given resources that we're merely preserving and sheltering and, and holding inside our handkerchief? Are we fearful to invest in new and different ways? Are, are we fearful of letting go of anything? You know, our, our leadership team here at Glady Branch has been discussing over the, the past several months this very concept. We've been asking God, what do you want us to do? What is it that you want to do here amongst this group of believers? How can we be most effective for your kingdom? We've talked about having open hearts and, and open hands to whatever the Lord would want to change in us. And we've had some really real moments where we've realized areas that would be difficult if God would call us to do something different or let go of something. Uh, positions or roles, areas of leadership, traditions, experiences, past history, titles, areas of comfort. Even I have had to wrestle with areas concerning my comfort zone. Uh, wrestle with places that come from my own preferences and my own experiences. And I'm so thankful and proud of each one of our leaders, as each one, myself included, has worked through in their own heart and come to the conclusion that whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is, even concerning an area that I would consider really difficult, even so, Lord, whatever it is, I'm willing to surrender it to you and let you do what you want to do for the benefit of your kingdom. My hands are open, my, my handkerchief is empty. And I'm asking that you this morning would join us in that humbling attitude. I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I don't know exactly where God is leading us, but I'm pretty confident he is working and he is up to some big things. And there are all kinds of kingdom rumblings in the area, places, things that are taking place across our county, uh, areas, potential opportunities to, to seize the day and boldly pursue his kingdom not just as Glady Branch, but as United Believers across the county and across denominational lines. There's so much potential for really big, great things that take place here for his kingdom. 
But I believe that in order for us to see those really big things, all of us are going to have to humble ourselves. Each one will have to humble himself, herself, and say, Lord, it's on the table, all of it. And you see fit to arrange the pieces as you desire. Whatever resources we have, it's yours anyway, and you have full access to them. We don't want to mismanage your resources, Lord. We don't want to hold any of them tucked away in the handkerchief. If there's any hindrance in, in building your kingdom, take it away. Help us to release any barrier that might preventing, be preventing us from taking your 10 minas and, and making them into 20. Again, I want to give you a few moments to think about this and, and pray through this concerning our church. Prayerfully un- unfold and release the contents of your church handkerchief fully to the Lord and for the purpose of effective investment in his kingdom. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for this community, this group of people that you've given us. So thankful for this sweet family. Lord, thank you for teaching us from your word. Thank you for stirring in our hearts. Lord, I know that you want so much for this group of people. You want us to to be the to, to uphold your light as a city on a hill. Lord, show us how to be effective for your kingdom with what you've given us here in this specific time of history. May nothing be wasted. Lord, as hard as it is, may we each be willing to say, Lord, whatever you would have us to do, whatever, it's yours anyway. Show us and we'll be obedient. Convict our hearts, convict our minds. Change any improper ways of thinking. Fill us with your spirit, that sweet, that sweet buttery savor of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you to work in our hearts. Lord, we are but your hired hands, your servants that are ready to to do whatever you would ask us to do. And Lord, as we take these handkerchiefs home, may they only serve as a reminder to, to not hold anything from you, for it always to be empty, not wrapped up with, with anything. I ask that you'd continue to show us areas that we might be hiding from you or holding on to, and that you just continue to draw out of our hearts these things and purify us, cleanse us as your people so that we can be most effective for maximum profit and gain in your kingdom, Lord Jesus. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.